you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our Bible reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints that are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those that are in affliction through the comfort we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound unto us, even so our comfort also abounds through Christ. But whether we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or whether we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which works in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast, knowing that, As you are partakers of the sufferings, so also are you partakers of the comfort. For we we would not have you ignorant, brothers, concerning our affliction, which fell on us in Asia, that we were weighed down beyond our strength, so much that we despaired even of life. Yet we ourselves, we felt we had the sentence of death within ourselves. But it was given to us not that we should trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead who delivered us out of so great a death and will deliver, on whom we have set our hope that he will also still deliver us, also helping us together on our behalf by your prayers, that for the gift bestowed upon us by means of many, thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alexandra. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Zach. If you haven't, if I haven't met you uh, yet, um, and if you weren't here a bit earlier this morning, uh, but it's great to be with you today, uh, even in our completely changed environment. Uh, and yeah, thankful to God that uh, we can still gather and meet, um, even when there are some oopsies with the bookings. Um, so uh, there was a bit of an issue made with like the National Palace Cinemas uh, took a direct booking without consulting the State Palace Cinemas um, and therefore ensues our problem this morning. Uh, but I have been guaranteed that problem not to arise again in the future. Um, so let's bank on that. Um, this morning, before we jump into the word, just a quick note that our youth team are away on a uh, youth camp over this weekend. They've joined with North Pine Baptist Church. Uh, so we've got our four leaders, uh, Noah, Joey, Kate and Lauren, and um, they've taken six youth with them from our church uh, and joined yeah, a whole bunch of kids at this camp. Um, and yeah, from all the reports I've heard so far, they're having, um, having a ball, um, enjoying that, looking forward to hearing, them, uh, hearing their stories when they come back. Uh, but I just want to quickly pray for them, uh, pray for our time together now, and then we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for today, thankful for 
uh, yeah, your provision to us, even when your provision doesn't look like how we think it should or uh, what we imagine it would look like. Thank you that you do provide for our needs and uh, we thank you that we can completely trust you, Father. We pray for our, our youth who are away on this camp right now. We ask that you would be continuing to speak through your word into their hearts, uh, continuing to draw themselves nearer to yourself and to help them to understand who you are and who you have called them to be through uh, your uh, good news through your son, Jesus. And Father, we're yeah, thankful that uh, we'll get to hear great stories of what you've done in their lives when they uh, join us again next Sunday. And Heavenly Father, we pray also for right now as we come to your word, we thank you for this letter uh, that was written and we pray that as we read it, you would speak to us directly from it. Help us to see uh, with greater clarity your goodness and glory uh, and help us to understand uh, how you have called us to live in our, in our modern age, um, as Brendan was saying before, with uh, complete uh, clarity and trust in who you are uh, and who you have made us to be. We thank you for our time together now. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, to be honest, I wanted to uh, sort of start the sermon today with a Space Jam reference. Um, <laughs> And I can prove its relevance because uh, if you've ever watched the Space Jam, not the new one with LeBron, don't worry about that, don't waste your time, go back to the old school, Michael Jordan, uh, man who can actually dunk, and um, go back to that, and uh, in it, they've got to go, the aliens want to go and steal the Looney Tunes to come and make their alien theme park more exciting, uh, and to, to uh, yeah, get them to come and do that, they've got to beat the Looney Tunes in a basketball game, of course. Uh, and so uh, the way that these tiny aliens go about doing that is they go and steal the talent from these incredible 90s NBA stars um, and they become these giant aliens who are, are like incredible at playing basketball uh, and that's sort of where the, the wonder and beauty of that movie really unfolds. Um, however... After all that very, very, very important sermon research, um, uh, I actually um, told that story literally for no reason at all because I don't think it was all that relevant for our sermon this morning. Um, but I got to watch Space Jam and so I just wanted to make everybody aware of that. Um, our, our series uh, kicking off this morning with 2 Corinthians, Jars of Clay. Uh, we, we can't see the artwork for it on our screen this morning, but hopefully you've seen it on social media. You might have noticed the, the jar that's being held up and the, the cracks that are through it, but how it's being glued together with sort of like a, a goldy type looking glue. Um, and that is the timeless art of Kintsugi, um, which uh, is this art of taking broken pottery or uh, broken uh, vessels like that and putting them back together uh, with this uh, incredibly uh, rare and delicate glue that is made up and it's got bits of gold and that sort of stuff in it and they, they put these, these jars or these vessels back together as incredible pieces of art. Um, and so that's sort of the whole um, concept and theming for this series and I was a little bit nervous at first to be honest with you because uh, when I first started um, looking at that theming and uh, reading behind the theming, looking at that artwork, what I was a bit worried about is that the emphasis would be on the brokenness. Um, and it's pretty easy. Like if you look at our artwork uh, for 2 Corinthians, you might come away from it thinking that the point of it is the beauty of the brokenness. Now, I want to encourage us. There is beauty in our brokenness, but only because of the one who takes our brokenness and makes us whole. 
There is nothing beautiful intrinsically about our brokenness. Our brokenness is due to sin and fallenness, our, our continued rebellion um, against a good and holy God. Our, our brokenness is not a thing of beauty unless that brokenness is made beautiful through uh, the gracious work of our God and Father through His Son, Jesus. And so I... Um, I'm really interested to dive into this series and, and really look at the, this whole theming of jars of clay, as even as we'll see in our uh, sort of prologue this morning and right through our 2 Corinthians, the emphasis is not on the vessel, it's not on the jars of clay, the emphasis is on the treasure that is inside, it's on what's making that jar valuable and beautiful and wonderful. In fact, one of the things that Paul is communicating right throughout this letter is that just like himself, you and I have nothing in and of ourselves that has power. Ultimately, we are but jars of clay, easily broken, fragile, but in this analogy, used to hold something great. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, we sort of get our our theming verse where Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As Paul works through this letter to the Christians in Corinth, this truth comes through as he addresses uh, multiple points. We see it as he addresses the suffering and afflictions that he faces as a Christian. We see it in his remarks about his inadequacies, uh, we, as he addresses the super apostles uh, that he talks about a couple of times in 2 Corinthians, and they boast in their own sophistication. Time and time again throughout this letter, Paul points out the insufficiency of us, but also points us powerfully to the complete sufficiency in God our Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some context to help anchor us uh, in uh, this uh, letter before we dive more into uh, this first chapter. So, Paul, an apostle, which means the sent one, uh, writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and Corinth was an important city in the region. I did have a nice map, um, but just imagine it. Um, And uh, it was sort of the capital city of this region called Achaia, um, and it was a significant city of commerce and cultural intersections. A lot of trade came through this city, which meant that there was a lot of money coming through. Uh, and to be honest, even in this really polytheistic, which means they worshipped a whole myriad of different types of gods, the real religion of the city of Corinth was self actualization which sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? This was one of those cities where someone would go to make something of themselves. And Paul planted a church there, as we're told about in Acts chapter 18. uh, And that sparks this roller coaster ride for Paul the Apostle as he tries to pastor uh, this church through their early years. Um, The letters that we have, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, are actually uh, two of possible four letters uh, that scholars believe and they think that we've got letters two and four. Uh, Paul refers to a previous letter when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 um, and then he writes 1 Corinthians and then he sends what is referred to as the severe letter which we don't have a copy of today Uh, and then lastly he sends 2 Corinthians. 
Um, so it seems that there was this original letter uh, writing back to this church that he had planted and then moved on from. Uh, then he wrote 1 Corinthians, which addresses some of those uh, questions that come up from the previous letter. And then he sends the severe letter, which was, as it sounds, apparently quite severe. Uh, and then uh, he writes 2 Corinthians that we're in today. Uh, and also, before the severe letter is sent, Paul went back to Corinth. Uh, and this visit is referred to as the painful visit. Uh, these are all helpful little uh, tags to note as you continue reading uh, 2 Corinthians uh, in your own time or as we're working through it over these next few weeks. Uh, and all of this is important because it helps us understand Paul's pastoral heart. Paul loved this church. And more than that, he loves Jesus. And he was convinced that the power of the gospel, but this flock that he was trying to shepherd via letters and via the sort of the interrupted visits that he could make was continuing to cause him pain. And so this is where we begin our dive into 2 Corinthians this morning. Paul begins this pastoral letter in the same fashion as pretty much all of his others. It includes his name, his calling, uh, who he is, who he is writing to, and he completes it with a gospel-saturated greeting in verse 2. Um, so we're going to, this morning, read a chunk, talk a bit about it, read another chunk, uh, and see what God does. Reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be frustrated with me stopping right now, um, only after two verses, but in these two verses, Paul says some things which are necessary for our pausing. Firstly, Paul says that this letter is to the church of God. We really need to grab onto that whole concept that this church, uh, this Corinthian church, it is God's church. And secondly, Paul highlights the undergirding foundation of this church. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This church exists because God the Father, through the work of Jesus, has gifted grace and peace to them. And church, this is our story as well. We are only gathering here today because of God, because He has gathered us together through His grace, because He has brought us peace with Himself through what Jesus did, because Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross. We now have grace from God and peace with God through His Son, Jesus. And that's why verse 2 is so powerful. And we can see that we, just like this Corinthian church, we are God's church. And just as important it is for us to keep that in mind as we work our way through 2 Corinthians, that's so important for you and I to keep in mind today. Uh, Gary Miller, my college principal, uh, he has a commentary on 2 Corinthians and he says of these first two verses, he says, undergirding everything that Paul writes in this letter is the fact that God rules and provides for his church. The church is not our project, it is God's. 
The church is not our community, it is God's. Ultimately, the church is not even our responsibility, it is God's. And when it comes to thinking about ministry, the Christian life and the church, this perspective changes everything. The more that we appreciate and have our perspective transformed by the truth, the better that things will be for everyone. Personally, I'm relieved uh, when I read these verses, when I read Gary's comments, to be given hope that the weight of this church and its success doesn't rest on me. And church, all of this doesn't rest on you. That's incredibly good news, especially after not sleeping very well last night, stressing about how ridiculous trying to cram into this tiny cinema is going to be and all of its complications, to realise really deeply inside all of us that the success of this community, the success of its ministry, the success even of the gospel going into Brisbane and all the world does not ultimately rely on us as Christians or me as the pastor or on Mike or our elders or on uh, this church as a whole, but ultimately this is God's church and we can completely trust Jesus when he says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we'll continue to see this right throughout this letter. Paul is consumed with the attention being taken off us and put on God. And this next section will begin to dive deeper into this beautiful reality. Uh, Verses 3 to 7, we'll consider God our comfort. Reading verses 3 through to 7, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul seems to be caught up in the worship of this God of grace and peace. And this leads him to praise God. Um, this whole section right here is like a, um, a doxology, a praise of our heavenly Father. Uh, and so it sort of jumps out of him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And given that Paul is about to talk about suffering and comfort, um, This is interesting. Interesting that Paul is likely using this moment of praise to shape his readers. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is training this church to praise God, to praise God in comfort or praise God in suffering, as we will see right throughout this letter. Now, before we go too much further on this point, I think uh, two things need to happen. One, we need to understand what Paul means by comfort and we need to understand what Paul means by affliction. It's very easy for you and me to read these words and import our own definitions, and sometimes this works out, sometimes uh, our definitions of these words sort of correspond nicely to each other. Um, However, most of the time, when we read the Bible, we actually need to get a grasp on what the original audience would have heard, 
what those words would have meant to them compared to what they mean in our modern society now. And so if I may go full nerd for a moment, um, I think it will help. The uh, Greek noun that we translate as comfort is parakalesis. Uh, and this word means so much more than just warm, fuzzy comfort. It's the Greek word that we also translate as encouragement. And it forms the Greek word that Jesus used to describe who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, We encounter this word being used three times in John's Gospel. So uh, to give you a second to turn there with me, turn to John chapter 14. And each time that uh, Jesus refers to uh, the Holy Spirit, um, sorry, each time he uses this word paraclete in the Greek, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And there's three uh, points that he talks about it in the Gospel according to John. So John chapter 14, verse 15, I'm going to read verse 15 through 17. So this is Jesus speaking and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another paraclete, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But when the helper, the paraclete, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then John chapter 16, I'm going to read from verse 7 through to 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I, if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, when the paraclete comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, maybe you're wondering why I spent all that time looking at those references, but it is because we are so inclined to bring our own understanding to a text. We want this comfort that Paul talks about to be more like painkillers and warmth. I think I slept for four hours last night and Panadol is currently my best friend. And we want that in every sphere of our life, no matter what kind of suffering or affliction we might face. We see comfort in the Bible and we think pain-free, warm, fuzzy existence. But a better understanding of God's comfort is God's constant presence. His constant encouragement, His lifting up of our sagging heads. If the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, helps us by this encouragement, this paraclesis, then we shouldn't expect pain relief, but God's presence in the pain. And so next we should also understand what Paul means by affliction. So I think for us in our comfortable uh, sort of middle-class Western society, affliction can mean something very different than what Paul has in mind. And this is why it's important that we let the Bible interpret the Bible. Paul defines what he means by affliction in verse 
5, where he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And this is helpful for us this morning. Uh, where we are inclined to, th- we're inclined to think that any inconvenience is affliction, that any discomfort should result in my being made comfortable. But here, Paul says, biblical affliction is when we suffer in Christ's, is when we are in Christ's sufferings. And Paul actually here sets up a major theme that runs right throughout all of 2 Corinthians, the theme of suffering for the sake of the gospel. As we'll encounter a few times through this letter, Paul is defending himself against these so-called super apostles. They are tearing Paul's ministry and apostleship down and they're accusing him, they're actually accusing Paul of suffering too much. And so Paul will go on a bit later to actually give them his own rap sheet of sufferings and it's exhausting. Paul and his fellow ministers have suffered many things for Christ but in comparison, these super apostles who make much of their own lack of suffering, they boasted in the fact that they were rich, eloquent and didn't suffer like Paul. But this ultimately goes against what Jesus promised his disciples and what has been true of God's people right throughout all of history. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or as the Christian Standard Bible translates it, he says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, I have conquered the world. The reality is, church, as we continue to live for Jesus according to his ways, as we continue to boldly proclaim the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ and live in a way that marks us as different to the world around us, we will face affliction, we will face trials, hardships and persecutions. But we can take heart, we can be comforted. Why? Because Jesus has overcome. Jesus has already defeated everything that can be thrown at you and me. Therefore, we can have comfort, we can have courage to know that although the world can destroy our reputation, it might even be able to take our homes or hinder our lifestyles, the world will not overcome us because we are in Christ. Knowing that this is what Paul means by comfort and affliction means that you and me can take verse 4 more seriously where he says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are being comforted by God. What a beautiful thing this is to understand. Not only can each of us be comforted by God, be encouraged to persevere even in the face of our trials and hardships, but we can also be that same comfort, that same encouragement for one another when we face the many trials of this gospel-shaped life. I'm sure that most of us have already experienced the increase in society's hostility towards our Christian faith. 
I'm sure we've seen it in our workplaces, in our social circles, or even in our unbelieving family settings. And for those parents in a similar boat to Hannah and I, uh, with young kids in school, maybe already beginning to feel the pressure of being a Christian in those environments. Hannah and I were talking with a mum of young kids uh, just the other day who mentioned the change in behaviour of her school acquaintances towards her when they found out, when she told them that she was a Christian and went to church. There's also those of you who are in university and you're, you're feeling the pressure of having to affirm ideologies that you disagree with or that the Bible disagrees with. Having to stand up for your own beliefs in these settings is increasingly difficult and it has huge consequences for relationships and it has uh, most likely big consequences even for future opportunities post-university. Those of you in workplaces where anti-Christian ideas and messages are meant to be affirmed and given the big tick of approval, these are the sufferings for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the times that you and I need to know God's comfort, God's encouragement in our lives and it's ultimately when you and I need to have each other's backs. Being present for one another, praying together, holding each other accountable to the truth of God's Word, pointing each other to the sufficiency that we have in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, and ultimately knowing that no matter what might happen to us in this life, we have and we serve the God who raises the dead. Paul finishes out his prologue by pointing us to the God, our Deliverer. Come back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, reading verse 8 through to 11. He continues and says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Paul uses his story of affliction that he faced in Asia province to highlight God's comfort, even though he he faced such hardship that Paul and his ministry friends actually expected to die. In that moment, they were comforted by the fact that even death ultimately cannot beat God. In fact, Paul uses this moment to remind the Corinthian Christians that in Jesus, death has been defeated. Paul points out that God is the one who raises the dead. And so no matter their trials, no matter their suffering, their hopes are set, as he says in verse 10, that God can deliver them again. Now in this, uh, there's obviously some literal, serious situations that Paul and his fellow ministers were 
suffering and, and finding themselves in, finding themselves in situations where they were actually at death's door. Maybe it was starvation, being uh, having food removed for, from them from a, a period of time. Maybe they were being beaten so severely that they uh, were uh, on the cusp of uh, facing death. Maybe they had been uh, shipwrecked or, um, as that happened to Paul and his friends a lot of times, uh, maybe they'd just been left somewhere, jailed somewhere, wherever it might be. And they were facing uh, literal circumstances where they were on death's door. But there's also this incredible theological underlining happening all the way through Paul's writings, that even in the, the physical facing of suffering and death, he's pointing his readers, and therefore you and me today, to our ultimate uh, picture of the God who raises the dead. He's pointing us back to the gospel where he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. He's given us his grace and his mercy through Jesus who paid the penalty for our sin that we might have peace with God, which brings us right back again to the end of verse 2 where he praises this God of our grace and peace. Church, this morning we can trust that Ultimately, God will deliver us from our afflictions. Maybe that's not going to look like if you're in a particular financial affliction right now. Uh, I'm not going to promise you that do this or that, say this prayer or that prayer, and God will miraculously free you from that particular affliction. I'm not going to promise you if you have a health issue or problem right now or friends and family have health issues and problems that you can do these particular actions or pray this particular prayer as if God's a genie, that we rub the side of it and then we get to make our three wishes uh, and see those things come true. You and I might have to genuinely walk through the furnace of fire of the society that is turning against Christianity even as we sit in this building down from another event that took our church building from us. Um, we, uh, as we're in our workplaces, as we're in our social settings, as we're in even maybe our unbelieving family units, as we are facing uh, these trials and these afflictions because we are sharing in Christ's sufferings, we are standing up for the truth of the gospel, we are living according to God's word, we are not capitulating or compromising to the society around us but we are standing firm in the gospel, ultimately, Paul right now is taking us back to reminding us that Jesus Christ has suffered on the cross in our place, that he has been risen from the dead. And so you and I might have to face these genuine afflictions, but thanks be to God, Jesus has overcome death. You and I get to live in the reality of Christ's life and freedom. And sure, the world might throw things at us that actually kill this physical body, but God has promised us and sealed it with his Holy Spirit that we will rise to life just as Jesus rose to life. So I invite the band this morning. We're going to sing a hymn today called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it so wonderfully captures God's word to us through Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians because we have been granted God's grace. As those who do not deserve to be raised from the dead, we have been given life in Jesus and the promise of being raised with him. And because Jesus took that punishment upon himself on the cross, we now have peace with God, our Father. We can come to him in prayer. When we're suffering for the sake of the gospel, finding this world an increasingly difficult place 
to live. We know that we can keep finding comfort, encouragement, rest in our Heavenly Father because Jesus overcame the world. Jesus has overcome our sin and our greatest enemy, death. As one line from this song so powerfully encourages, in his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find solace there. Church, let's stand together this morning. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word to us. Thank you for the church in Corinth, its many ups and downs. Thank you for uh, your apostle Paul, who you uh, wrote these incredible words through to uh, bring your transforming uh, light and life into this church. Thank you for that word of you are our God of comfort. You are our, our God of deliverance. Heavenly Father, we pray you would help us to keep our eyes fixed and firm on Jesus, our great deliverer. As we go into this week, as we go into the rest of this year, as we uh, continue in this series of 2 Corinthians, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the one who is the treasure inside our jars of clay, who is the very means of our light and life. Help us to shine and show the love of Jesus to this world around us as we continue to hold firm to this truth and not compromise and give in to the way of the world, but trust that even when we face uh, death at our door, you are our victory. You are the one that we can rest in and trust for our life and eternity. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.